Welcome to the East End Fellowship Podcast. East End Fellowship is a community of Christians located in Richmond, Virginia, with the goal of seeing every person become a disciple of Jesus and live in the joy and justice of God's kingdom. Our spiritual family meets weekly in house churches and on Sundays at our large gathering. The following is a teaching from our time together. We hope you feel encouraged, challenged, and delighted by what you hear. As has already been alluded to, we are uh, knee-deep in our current sermon series, Peculiar, which is based on 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, um, which emphasizes how we are chosen by God as followers of Christ, and we're peculiar people. And so in recent weeks, we've talked about the ways that um, uh, involves us pursuing holiness and being set apart from the things that are not of God. We've talked about how that involves pursuing wholeness and allowing God to actually heal the broken places in our lives. And we talked most recently about godliness and what it means to bear good spiritual fruit for God's kingdom. And so a key question has been, how are we actually peculiar, right? How do we embrace our distinction from the world while not being isolated from the world? And as I was wrestling with this this week, I'm convinced that one fundamental reason why we are called to be peculiar is because we follow a peculiar God, a God who often doesn't do things the way that we expect, a God who doesn't fit neatly into the boxes that that we have for how we think God should operate. And so today we're going to look at a passage of scripture in the Old Testament in which a man named Gideon learns about this peculiar God. We'll be coming from Judges chapter 7. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. Early in the morning, drew Baal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. All right. Uh, To give some context for what's happening in this passage, um, Israel has been under the oppression of the Midianites for about seven long years. The land is impoverished. It's lost tons of crops. And uh, God tells them that this is due to their disobedience, right? So it's part of their punishment. But now, God is prepared to deliver them from the hand of the Midianites through Gideon. God had already promised deliverance earlier in chapter 6. But Gideon often has a problem taking God at his word. Chapter 6 mentions more than one occasion where Gideon asks God, give me a visible sign. Give me a visible sign that I'm going to have victory. And so first, Gideon puts out a fleece on the ground overnight 
And he asked that God would make dew appear on the fleece, but that God would keep the surrounding ground dry on the next day. So God did it. Then the next day, Gideon asked for God to do the same sign and to reverse it. And then God did it again. And by the time we get to chapter 7, God has proven himself multiple times. Yet with the latest commandment to cut the numbers of troops down, Gideon becomes unsure again. Gideon is not new to warfare. It's been around the block a few times, a few battles. So at this point, he's probably thinking, God, you got to be kidding me. You can't win a battle without troops. Doesn't make sense. In hindsight, I think for us, it can be easy to look down on Gideon's logic. He should have had more faith, right? But in reality, we've all been in that type of situation. Those moments when we think that God's plan couldn't possibly be better than our well-thought-out plan. Of course. I was reminded of this years ago um, when we, me and Diamond were preparing to get married. And uh, I was responsible for securing the DJ and working on all that. And I remember meeting with the, the DJ. And um, as some of you know, I, I have a background in, um, in music in the sense that I uh, used to make mixtapes in high school. <laughs> that was my side hustle. Say the story for another sermon. I think I did preach about that, actually. Um, but I was very confident in my playlist skills. And, um, and so the day rolls around to, um, to have this meeting, and I have a whole list. Hey, this is what I want played, you know, because I have I've orchestrated the whole thing in my head. After all, you know, I could have been a DJ. So um, not really. But uh, that's what I thought. And so we're having this conversation. And I said, hey, here's what I have in mind. He said, great, great. I'm only going to play what you put on this list. I'm going to do exactly what you say, right? So I'm saying, great, this is great. Orchestrated all this. So the wedding comes around, and I'm convinced that this first song is really going to get people on the dance floor, right? It's Missy Elliott's Lose Control, if you're familiar. And um, so the beat drops, and I dart out to the floor, right? I'm getting it, getting it, cutting the rug all up. And um, no one joined me. No one at my wedding. And at the time, it's my wedding, right? So I was hyped. I didn't really care. But obviously, the point is people to get on the dance floor. And um, uh, the song winds down. No one joined me. And, uh, and then I hear a song that I did not put on my playlist, which was Lil John's Turn Down For What? And everybody jumped on the dance floor. It was crazy. People who I didn't know could dance were dropping it. And I was like, what is happening? So, um, and I learned from that experience, like, oh, you know what? I thought I knew what to do in that situation, but I should have trusted someone who did this for their profession and knew what they were talking about. Um, and uh, I had been so convinced that my plan was better, but clearly I was wrong. And what I needed in that moment was to trust that this guy knew what he was doing. They knew what he was doing. And I think that sometimes we can apply these tendencies in our relationships with God we can ask God to do something, but really what we're saying is, um, it's not, you know, God, show me the way. We just want God to execute our vision because we know what's best. So we ask God to bless our job application because, you know, we want God to help us get this job, but we never actually ask God if that was a job that he wanted us to have or apply for. Or in school, we ask God to help us to get into this program, but we never stop to ask God, do you want me to apply to that program? Or we ask God to bless our relationship with that significant other before ever asking God if that's who we should be with. Or we ask God for, to help us pay for something that we were never told by God to purchase. It actually takes intentionality to cultivate the habit of stopping to ask God for direction in our lives. 
if we aren't mindful of this, we can operate as if God's plan isn't the most important part of our discernment process. I think about this a lot with preaching because there's a whole lot of things that a person could say in a sermon, but the most important thing is what does God want to be said? On Tuesday this, Tuesday this week, as I was at the Union Prez uh, Seminary Library, I was convinced that today's sermon was going to be on Psalm 1. But here we are in Judges 7, right? <laughs> Last week, I was confused in my prep as to why God didn't give me more things to say while I was prepping until I realized that God basically wanted all the room to share it in response time, if you hear you remember that. That was what God's plan was, right? So all this is about an openness to what God wants to do. This is about discernment. And we must trust that God knows what's best, even what God wants seems a bit peculiar. We're called to prioritize God's plans above our own. Sometimes the difficulty is in discerning the plan, but at other times, we just find it difficult to go along with what God has already revealed to us. This is the tension that Gideon begins to wrestle with. With Gideon, God was quite clear. It just wasn't what he was really on board with at first. He's not completely confident in God's plan. And his fear becomes clearer later in the passage. God ends up giving him another sign to trust him. And then he experiences victory in battle. When we choose to trust God, to really believe that God knows best, we might be surprised at how amazing God's plans really are. It's often only in hindsight that we realize that God knew exactly what he was doing, even though in the moment we might not understand it. That's what Gideon is faced with. Gideon finds himself being invited to trust God and not rely on his own strength or strategy. Now, Gideon's not new to warfare, right? He knows that you need people in order to win a battle. So you can imagine how Gideon feels when he has a specific plan to enter the battle with as many folks as possible, as many troops as possible, and he hears God say, Gideon, you just got too many people. Too many people. What? That's like telling Steph Curry, I know the NBA Finals are coming up, but if you really want to win, just sit out all the rest of the starters, right? That's going to be the plan. Then you'll really win the championship. Something about that doesn't add up, right? doesn't make sense. To win the NBA Finals, you've got to have good players. Steph Curry learned that the hard way against Toronto a few years ago. And um, in Gideon's mind, to win a war, you have to have people, preferably as many as possible. And God doesn't cut Gideon's troops numbers once, but twice. God adds insult to injury. Doesn't God know how this is supposed to work? You can imagine Gideon's initial confusion. Now, fortunately for Gideon and for us, God's vision is bigger and better than ours. God is interested in revealing himself to us and forming us into the types of people who will trust him and give him glory. And that happens when we follow his plan, even when it doesn't make sense to us, even when it's a little peculiar. God knew that if he allowed the 32,000 soldiers to go into battle, and they would claim credit for themselves. They think they did it themselves, right? But I think there's something else going on here. God is not just interested in receiving the glory for the victory, but he wants to deal with Gideon's fear and inability to trust him. Notice that the first group of soldiers that God sends home is those who are afraid. God wants the glory and to transform Gideon into someone who will trust and follow him, to transform us into people who will trust and follow him. In chapter 6, we already see glimpses of Gideon's struggle with this, when God promises victory in battle and all Gideon can do is keep asking for proof. Gideon wanted signs that God was telling the truth. But God calls Gideon to trust even when the situation looks bleak, 
even when trusting him seems to not make much sense. Now, it's slightly easier to trust God when he makes his plans clear and gives some proof. It's a bit trickier when God doesn't give many details. A key example of this is the uh, story of Abraham, right? God tells Abraham, leave where you're at. I'm going to show you some other place, right? Pack up all your stuff, get your family together, and then go to a place you've never been and stay there. You don't get the sense from the story that he goes back and forth about whether or not to obey God. The verses just say that he went. That's fascinating to me. Imagine if tonight God spoke to you and said, hey, you know, I'm going to need you to pack up all your stuff. I need you to move to a new city several hundred miles away and settle there for the rest of your life ASAP. And, you know, I know you got a new job. I know you got kids. I know you're rooted. I know you had a great church. Is that cool with you? You'd probably have a couple questions. I know I would, as would my wife. She would question my discernment if I told her that. But that's basically what happens to Abraham. At least Gideon knew where he was going. And he generally knows what to expect. But sometimes when we feel the most uncertain about what's happening, we're exactly where we need to be. Several years ago, I had an experience that reminded me of this. I had, um, I had to make a quick run to the store to pick up a few things. And anyways, as I am um, backing into um, a parking spot, there's a car in the spot to my right on the passenger side. And what I don't realize is that right when I'm finishing parking, the driver in the car is beginning to take off. So what this creates is an optical illusion that I'm still moving. Has it happened to anybody here? It's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling. And so I'm convinced that my brakes are not working, and I start panicking. So my first instinct is to just start stomping. I just start stomping the brake over and over again because I'm worried I'm going to hit whatever is behind me. And after sitting there stomping about seven or eight times, I realize that my car is not moving at all, and I stop, and I take a deep breath. Now, in hindsight, what's fascinating to me is that this situation, um, in this situation, it was precisely the moment that I felt the least in control, the moment I felt most uncertain, the, mo- the moment I felt most uncomfortable. In that moment, I was actually the most secure. I was in park. I was stable. I was safe. I wasn't about to hit someone or something with a car. Although I felt like things were out of control, and didn't know exactly what was happening. I was right where I needed to be. I think that following God can feel like that sometimes. We can have a conception of how things are supposed to go, but God can lead us into seasons and situations that can make us feel like we don't have security or stability. That can happen. And we then find ourselves completely dependent on him to help and to guide us. That's what we see with Gideon. God doesn't give him a full blueprint of exactly how less is more in warfare. He doesn't give every detail to justify his command to send all these troops home. He just tells Gideon everything he needs in order to say yes and implies that Gideon has to trust him with the rest, just like he should have trusted him all the other times that he asked asked God for proof. Instead of being able to depend on his own knowledge and strategy, Gideon has to depend on God. When we experience situations like this, I think it's important to learn how to receive our dependence on God as a gift, as a good thing. Imagine how differently our lives would be if that was the case. In other words, imagine if whenever God called us into uncomfortable situations, our first response was not fear, but to press in, to lean in, to embrace dependence on God, to confess, God, I don't really know what you got planned, but I'm going to choose to trust you anyway, to say yes even when I don't have all the answers, to say yes even when the answers I do have make me uncomfortable. Great things can happen to us when we say yes to God anyway. 
But this can be hard, especially when we have fears that are pulling us in another direction. Gideon was fearful because God was literally calling him to put his life on the line in battle. But then to send most of his troops home. That's a scary place to be. But we can be fearful in much less drastic situations. We can be fearful because of what we think God's plan might cost us. That could be our comfort. That could be certain hopes or dreams. That could be the way it affects how people see us. And sometimes our resistance to God's plan can reveal when those types of things have become functional idols for us. Concrete ways that we place certain things above the will of God in our lives. And it can expose how we have found our security in so many things other than God once those things have been stripped away from us. Other times our fear to go with God's plan is simply because we fear that God might not show up. The cost of God not showing up in Gideon's situation is literally death. That's what would happen. And even though we might not have the same life or death situation, the fear of God not showing up is no less real for us. So we ask ourselves, is God really going to show up when we need him the most? This is also why spiritual family is so important. If you are to experience the life that God has for us, we need to be in a community in which others can help us to trust God in moments of doubt. In community, we tell the story of God's faithfulness and love over and over so that in our moments of fear and doubt, even when life doesn't make sense, we can remind each other that God is still God. In Gideon's case, God had already given him signs that he would provide victory in chapter 6. He'd already given him signs that he could be trusted, even when things didn't make sense. And in our own lives, God encounters us, reminding us that in Jesus, he has already given us proof that we can trust his plan and his power, even when it's peculiar, even when it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that God would choose Israel, a seemingly insignificant nation to save the world. It doesn't make sense that God would choose Jacob over Esau or David over his brothers or choose people like Judas to be a disciple. That's peculiar. It doesn't make sense for God to choose to become human in Jesus. It doesn't make sense for Jesus to be crucified by the people he created. It doesn't make sense. It definitely doesn't make sense for Jesus to invite those same types of people, sinners like them, like us, to be his friends. It's crazy. It doesn't make sense. This is a peculiar God. If I was God, this probably wouldn't have been my plan, but it was God's plan. And we can trust that it is a good plan because God is good. This is something that Gideon has to continue learning. And in our own lives, the challenge for us is to recognize God's plan and to trust him and to submit to that plan. To recognize that the plan we might think is best may not yield the result that is best for us or best for other people. The good news is that when we embrace this, when we fully surrender to God, we can experience a depth of relationship with God that we couldn't even imagine a depth of faith that we couldn't imagine. And we can experience the holy surprise of God's plan for our lives. And then we can help other people to actually become more willing to try this good God out for themselves because we've experienced that goodness firsthand. So maybe you're hearing there are things that have happened in your life that have caused you to question God's plan. Maybe you've had particular ideas of things you want to do, things you want to accomplish, maybe even a particular timeline. But it seems like your plan just isn't the one God has in mind right now. That could be related to having a job or a particular job, having a spouse, having kids, having a certain house or lifestyle, or something else. I believe that God does not want us to hold our plans so tightly that we can't exchange them for his. 
I think God wants to remind us that his plan is always better, even when it's peculiar. And the irony is that even when we don't realize it, his plan will ultimately be more satisfying to us than our own. Maybe you're here and personally you know that there are areas in your life where you've resisted saying yes to God's plan because it just feels too foreign or uncomfortable or too different from what you hoped for. Maybe there's a specific way that God's been calling you to move or to change and you've been hesitant for a while. Today, things can be different. Today, God's invitation to follow him is just as available as it's always been. God simply asks that we say yes to him and his spirit will give us the strength to, say, to take the next step. Or maybe you recognize that God is inviting you to slow down and actually spend more time with him, to not be so focused on the tasks at hand or the things you want to accomplish that you're not present to what's right in front of you. Maybe God is calling you to take a moment to stop. Moving when God says move and stopping to be present with God when God says stop are not mutually exclusive, but are both important parts of what it means to say yes to God. They are part of the rhythm of discipleship. But this isn't just about us either. It's about our city. Notice that God's command to Gideon is really about the mission that the nation of Israel is engaged in. His willingness to follow God's lead, even when it's inconvenient, uncomfortable, or peculiar, will benefit others. And I think that as communities, um, as I think that communities that embody Gideon's response are some of the things that our city needs the most and that our country needs the most. Our city needs communities that can model what it looks like to relentlessly pursue God even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's peculiar. It doesn't make sense to value and pursue reconciliation in a society that's this polarized. It doesn't make sense to lean into justice when the scale of injustice around us can seem insurmountable. How can a church oppose entire unjust systems and structures? It doesn't make sense. How can we dare to believe that our church can make a difference in our city? It might not always make sense. It might not always Makes sense. But somehow in God's master plan, we can be a part of him establishing an entire kingdom, a society in which people can encounter Jesus and experience equity and abundance. Daring to believe that this is possible gives us a chance to model a new way to live in our context, in our city. We can be a people committed to an unwavering faith in the God who makes all things possible and to become a credible witness to the fact that the God that we serve really does know best. When we do this, God gets the glory, just like in today's verses. The verses for today assume that as Gideon says yes to God, people will better understand who this God is, and God will be the one to get the credit. The battle will lead people to say, look at how great that God is. And that's what we want for our lives. As we say yes to God, we don't want people admiring us for our doctrine or our music or our intelligence or our diversity. Those things are fine, but they can miss the point. We want people to see us and say, man... I think that God is doing something there. God is doing something in that spiritual family. I want to know the God they keep talking about, the God they keep singing about. I think he's up to something, and I want to be part of what God is doing. I see people being reconciled. I hear about people experiencing spiritual, emotional, physical healing, and I want to know the God who does that. That's what we want. We want God's name to be great. The truth is that our purpose has never primarily been about us or our plans. Our lives are never fundamentally about us. Life is not about finding our own purpose as much as it's about losing ourselves within God's purposes for the world. Because losing our lives is how we gain them. This is peculiar. 
I think that's part of what Jesus is getting at when he says that those who lose their lives for his sake will gain it. It's surrendering our personal hopes, ambitions, dreams in exchange for God's plans for our lives in the world. Being able to discern but also follow God's plan, even when it costs us what we want or costs us what we think we need. That's the purpose that God is inviting each of us into today and every day. We cry out to God, why? When our lives take paths that don't make much sense to us, or God seems to have a plan that's unexpected, and God whispers, stop, be still, and know that I'm still God. May this reality give us the security that we need when things don't make sense. And may we be reminded that if we are on a path that moves towards God, we are right where we need to be. So regardless of what areas in your life are more prone or most prone to resisting God's call, I'm going to take a moment to pray for us. And during response time, folks will be available to to pray for you on the um, sides of the room. And there are pills up front for you as well if you'd like to pray there. So I invite you to bend back up and invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. Gracious God, thank you that you're a God who knows best. That you're a God who sees the end from the beginning. And you're a God who has good plans for your people. God, I pray that you would increase and deepen our faith in you knowing that you are a God who is good. Pray that, God, you would help us to remind one another of who you are in our moments of doubt and our moments of discouragement. God, I pray that you would help us to see that we can trust you. Pray that you would guard us from the discouragement that can come from things that seem uncomfortable or seem like setbacks. And just to know that you're still God. God, I pray that you would free us from any fear that could be holding us back from saying yes to you. Pray, God, you would deepen our love for you and our awareness of your love for us. And you pray that our assurance of your love will be what grounds us, God, will be what motivates us and, and helps us to trust in you. Even when you do things that we may not expect, even when you do things that we may not agree with, God, I pray you would help us to see that you're a good God. So God, we ask you to also turn us into ambassadors for you in our city, ambassadors in our families, in our own households, in our schools, in our workplaces. Pray we be people who proclaim this good God. And pray that when people see us, they would see you reflected and they desire to know you more deeply. God, give us vision for that. Give us courage for that. Give us hope for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We appreciate you tuning in to the East End Fellowship Podcast. To see the full video of the sermon you just listened to, and for the best way to get in touch with us, check the show notes for all of our social media channels. For more information about how you can get involved with our community and to sign up for our newsletter, please visit eastendfellowship.org. Thanks again for listening.